Welcome to everyone tonight. If you are a guest in service tonight, we're glad to have you with us. Thank you for being here. If you're watching us online tonight, wherever you're watching from, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well. Praise God. I, this is the plight of being the PK, but I was, or one of the PKs, I was reminded as we were singing that song when a Elizabeth was young, she would sing, soon and very soon we are going to sing to the king. So, I know some of y'all, got there's some great stories out there of words that people thought, you know, that I come to the garden alone, somebody, some kid wanted to know who Andy was, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, so, yeah, praise God. I, I don't know if I'm going to preach or teach or what. I'm, I'm caught between because I don't have slides, but I have the lapel. So um, I may end up with the handheld and getting with it before I'm done. I don't know. What I do know, what I do believe, is I believe God has given me something to share with you tonight and, and ties in and it's it's important in light of where we are and what God is doing. So whatever it ends up being, it ends up being. Uh, I also, I, I have no intent of going any longer than I need to. I realize um, the majority of you have been a part of just about every service the last several weeks and we've got church Saturday night. So I do want you to know that I am not going to purposely just uh, get all of my last four weeks of no teaching or preaching in in one night. Uh, I will I will try to keep that limited. So I want to read a couple of verses, then I'm going to read a whole lot more. I'll let you sit down before I do that. So just to kind of get a little bit of a foundation here. First Samuel chapter 17, and uh, I want to start with uh, verse number 43. Scripture says this, And the Philistines said unto David, and speaking of Goliath, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not, with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into your hands. So basically, two times David makes specific reference in his trash talking to Goliath that you are using a sword and a spear. You're using a sword and a spear. And I, I, I've thought of a lot of different titles for tonight, and there's several other things that are probably a little more. Uh, applicable or better, but just, if nothing else, for the sake of media ministry tonight, I, 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 I will just title this, A Lesson from David and Goliath. 
a lesson from David and Goliath. Lord, thank you for your wonderful presence that is in this place tonight. God, I do not ever want to take your presence for granted. No matter how often we experience it, no matter how often we're in it, I don't want to ever take it for granted, God. So we thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for showing up and manifesting your presence in response to our praise and our worship. I pray, God, now that you would speak to us tonight, God. I know that you have been speaking to us for weeks now in a very clear way. We have heard very clear words from you. And I pray tonight, God, and trust that tonight is more than just uh, words, more than just a filler, but that it will continue to be a part of the things that you are saying to us as a body so that we will be able to fully experience all that you have for us in this season that you have us in. I trust you for your anointing tonight, Lord. Depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I guess let me just say it up front as I get going here. As as most of you know, and most of the ministry I have done the last several months on Thursday nights, especially has had something to do with identity. This this really kind of ties into that even, or ties into that more. I have uh, numerous situations and setting, whether whether it's messages that have been preached where I've been, messages preached here, or personal conversations. God has continued to uh, affirm and and deal with me on this in this area, and so. Really, this is probably a continuation of that, an unplanned, uh, if you will, continuation of that. So, uh, very familiar story probably to everyone in here. Be quite surprised if there's nobody here tonight that doesn't know the story of David and Goliath. But uh, there's there's something in particular I I feel like we need to kind of draw out of here tonight in, in light of where we are with some things and and, and hopefully the Lord will, will help us. And so I, I read to you kind of in, in more so the middle. There's some stuff we're getting ready to read that, that precedes all of this. But again, I just want you to kind of keep it in your mind, the back of your mind, what David is saying to Goliath as he is approaching him. You are coming with a sword and a shield. You have, you have the way that you're about to fight. You have the way that you are prepared to do battle. And I realize that in these verses we read, what David just says is, I come to you in the name of the Lord. But what we know from the story, he came in the name of the Lord, but he didn't just go out there with just the name of the Lord. <laughs> he did not just walk out there in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, and Goliath just falls. So it was the name of the Lord that he came in, but there was something else that he came with as well. So I want to back up in chapter 17, and I want to start reading at verse 31. And and I've preached some of this before in a little bit different context than this tonight. And and, uh, so, whatever. 1 Samuel 17, 31, it says this, When the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. These are are the words of David wanting to know who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God, and, and he is essentially willing to go out and fight Saul. So when they tell this to Saul, 
David said, and Saul sins for him, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And I'll get into this a little bit more, but let me just, I want to plant this thought in your mind right now. Part of the reason Saul is saying what he's saying is because of his preconceived ideas of what has to happen on the battlefield. See, what, what Saul is looking at is this giant out there, this giant of a man that is armed, and you are a young boy with no weapons, not, no armor, and no battle experience. And so in Saul's mind, what he's saying, what he's thinking is, you and him don't match up. And so it's from that standpoint that Saul is saying, you, you can't do this. You're a man, you're a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. I, Dave was a pretty bad dude, I got to tell you. <laughs> wasn't, he wasn't setting up with no shotgun blowing the bear away. Hand to hand combat. <laughs> hand to beard combat. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Okay. Man, if you can handle a lion and a bear, you can handle him. Go. But look at the next verse. After he says to him to go, what verse are we? Verse 38. So Saul says go, but now what Saul does is he arms David with his armor and put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed, or he tried to go. So, I, I know you got the picture, but let's make sure you got the picture. David, David now convinces Saul to let him go, and Saul agrees for him to go, but before he goes, Saul, based on his perception of how this fight is going to take place, based on that, he says, you need this. I know I'm going slow, and I'm, but just stay with me. I'm, I'm not... If you're going to go fight him, I've got, a, I've got a preconceived idea of how that has to happen. 
And so if you're going, you need this. And, and David puts it on. Tries it on and considers going, but realizes, I'm, I'm not proven this. I don't know how to use this. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know whether it fit him or not. Chances are it, it probably fit him. I think David perhaps was somewhere, and one of you folks know better than I, help me out here, but I think David was probably somewhere in his late teens at least at this point, so pretty close to being full grown. So I, I don't think it was kind of like, you know, the, 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 the little kid putting on his dad's shoes. I don't think that's what this was about. I, I don't think the reason he decided not to go is because it was all clunky. And he, and he just couldn't, couldn't do it. He recognized, I realized, based on that giant, and his challenge, and my volunteering to go, you all have it in your mind how this is to be done. I, if I need to pick this up for you to really believe I have a word from God, I'll pick this up. He is saying he started to go but realize I have not proven this. So he takes them off. We don't know. It's that reading between the lines. We don't know, but there's a good chance when he took them off, Saul probably started reconsidering. I don't have a lot of confidence you can go out there in my armor and defeat him, much less without it. But for whatever reasons, it was too far gone now. And the Bible says that David took his staff in his hand, and then he went and chose five smooth stones. He didn't just walk by somewhere and just pick up a handful of rocks. He, he took some time and picked out five smooth stones out of the brook and he put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Can you imagine the thoughts going through everyone's minds? How about David's brothers? Oh, my God. What am I, what, how are we going to tell our dad this? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they started looking at each other and saying, you, you're going to tell him. It's going to be your job to tell him what happened out here. Because you've got this literal giant, not figurative, you've got this giant of a man standing out there armed for battle. And now you've got this kid 
even if he was late teens, no offense, that's a kid, walking out onto the battlefield with a staff, a pouch, and a sling. Vegas would have been going crazy. There's no doubt who the odds would have been in favor of. There, there, I think there's two basic things I, want, I feel to try to communicate to you tonight. I don't know in which order necessarily, and I don't know that it matters. But first off, David had to go on the battlefield with what David knew how to use. It did not matter what Saul thought. It did not matter that Saul had armor that he had used and proven. David had not used it and proven it. And the second thing is, Well, let me let me let me back up before I say it. Let me let me pose it. Who do who do who, when we talk about David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath, who who is viewed as the underdog? And let's be honest. Do we not usually think of the story of David and Goliath as the underdog? This great defeat over the favored. I've come to tell you tonight, we are absolutely, totally wrong. And that's part of our problem with ourselves. We think David was some ignorant kid that wandered out on that battlefield and God just happened to decide, I got no other option, so I guess I'm going to use him. But I tell you, it was divine providence that got David on that battlefield at that moment. And he was not some underdog that all of Israel's hope was riding on that somehow he would do it. It was already determined in advance before he ever got on that battlefield. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how they stack up against each other. The victory is already determined. Let me, let, me, let me address the first before I get to the second. Let me address that first part before I get to the underdog part. I not only... I, I, I know I was out of town last week, but Brother Trombley ministered last Thursday night at my request based on what I felt like the Lord and impressed me to do. I knew the gist of what he was talking about. And I also, since I talked to you this morning, Brother Trombley, have listened to last Thursday night and what a great job that you did. I have affirmed what I have heard. And so I wholeheartedly support everything he taught and preached and what God did last Thursday night. With that being said, though, I want, I want you to hear me, especially the elder generation. We will not defeat the Goliaths of our day by simply putting on the armor of the, of the previous generation. 
We can't just go out on the battlefield with what you did on the battlefield. I am absolutely convinced, had David gone out to fight Goliath in Saul's armor, Goliath would have done to David what Goliath said he would do. The reason David was able to be successful is he went out and did what he was called to do the way he was called to do it. And so in this transference that's been going on in the spirit and was was done even more last Thursday night, you've got to understand the transference of what the elders are passing on to the younger is not for them to become a mini-you. It is for that, that anointing and that, that, that stuff you've got to pass on and, and so that they can take that. But it's not for them to go and be exactly what you were. I just, I just, I just, it's what I mentioned in a couple weeks ago and I'm, I'm doing what that preacher said is why he doesn't preach from the Old Testament. But as long as I don't know of any specific violation of what I'm saying in the Word of God, I'm just going to keep doing that. I know it's not specifically in there, but I think we can just, we can just take a little bit of a poetic license. I, I just, ha- whether he said anything or not, I got a feeling when David rejected Saul's armor and started out to fight Goliath, Saul, what have I done? What have I allowed? They're going to be looking at me because a bunch of them just saw what just took place. And now I've let him go out there with a rod and a sling to face a giant fully armed. David had to go in what David had been developing to use. As I said when I started, when David says, I come, you come to me with a sword and spear, and David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord, he wasn't just coming rebuking Goliath, he was coming with a weapon. It just wasn't the weapon everybody was used to seeing in that setting on the battlefield. Because in Saul's mind, again, and probably a lot of others, They're expecting whoever accepts Goliath's challenge is going to meet Goliath at his terms. And if that was the case, Saul was absolutely right. David doesn't need to go. But David and God knew something Saul didn't know. So let me get to point number two, as I said earlier. Let me read to you for a moment. This, this, we got this underdog. Some of, there's a bunch of us that we've got this underdog mentality. We're just, we're just the hanging around leftovers that God has got to somehow manage to do something with. Malcolm Gladwell says in his book, David and Goliath, ancient armies had three kinds of warriors. The first was cavalry, armed man on horseback or in chariots. The second was infantry, foot soldiers wearing armor and carrying swords and shields. The third 
were projectile warriors, or what today would be called artillery, archers, and most important, slingers. Slinging took an extraordinary amount of skill and practice. But in experienced hands, the slaying, the, the sling was a devastating weapon. I've, I've been using Siri to do my typing for me. The problem is when you don't thoroughly review what Siri put, sometimes you get a little bit messed up. It really messed me up in WordCast yesterday, so I'm not a fast typer and... That's a lot faster, actually, than me typing. So I speak it to my iPad, email it to my computer, and copy and paste it, and all that's a lot quicker than still typing it. So, And my 69-year-old dad that knows how to type at X number of words per minute is probably shaking his head at his 43-year-old son. I won't even look. <laughs> In and it actually says inexperience. It's all one word, but it's supposed to be in space experienced hands the slaying or the slaying the sling was a devastating weapon irish slingers were said to be able to hit a coin from as far away as they could see it and in the old testament book of judges you can find it look it up in your concordance swingers and i know some of y'all y'all got some 50s terminology or something coming to mind i can feel it <laughs> That's just got to be some old American term for some, somebody, right? <laughs> Swingers are described as being accurate within a hair's breadth. So David wasn't just going out there randomly whipping this thing around and then just deciding... I sure hope at the right moment, the right second, I let go. He was skilled and trained. He had practiced and developed his ability to use that sling. So while to a bunch of armed soldiers, he looked like an accident waiting to happen walking out on that battlefield, he actually had a weapon in his arsenal that was superior to what Goliath had. This is about Goliath's armor. To protect himself against blows to the body, he wore an elaborate tunic made of hundreds of overlapping bronze fish-like scales. It covered his arms in red and... It didn't red to his knees, so it's something else. <laughs> it covered his arms and went to his knees and probably weighed more than a hundred pounds. He had bronze shin guards protecting his legs with attached bronze plates covering his feet. He wore a heavy metal helmet. He had three separate weapons all optimized for close combat. He held a thrusting javelin made entirely of bronze which was capable of penetrating a shield or even armor. He had a sword on his hip, and his primary option, he carried a special kind of, so of short-range spear with a metal shaft 
as large as a weaver's beam. It had a cord attached to it and an elaborate set of weights that allowed it to be released with extraordinary force and accuracy. He was armed. He was ready to go face to face, hand to hand. And the problem was, there's a whole army of guys that aren't willing to face Goliath because all they can think about is hand to hand. He's bigger than I am. He's taller than I am. He's stronger than I am. His weapons are bigger than mine. I'm not about to go out there. But there comes this kid who doesn't have any of those things but has something that he knows how to use. The historian Baruch Halpern argues that the sling was of such importance in ancient warfare that the three kinds of warriors balance one another like jesters in the game of rock, paper, scissors. With their long pipes and armor, infantry could stand up to cavalry. Cavalry could quickly in turn defeat projectile warriors because the horse moved too quickly for artillery to take proper aim. And projectile warriors were deadly against infantry because a big lumbering soldier weighed down with armor was a sitting duck for a slinger who is launching projectiles from a hundred yards away. You come with a sword and shield. But don't mistake the fact I'm unarmed just because I don't have what you have. And Saul, just because I didn't put on your armor, don't you think for one second I'm going out on this battlefield unarmed. I may not do it the way you did it in the armor you did it in, but I've got something I've proven. I've come to, hopefully by the help of the Lord, in the midst of several things, one thing is to reverse your mentality tonight. That when David walked out on the battlefield, David was not the underdog, but Goliath was the underdog. He was all prepared for hand-to-hand combat. That's why when Goliath sees this young boy unarmed coming out, he, he just gets, you know, he gets a big kick out of it. Who is this you're sending out to fight me? You see, in everybody's mind, basically, but David's, there was a preconceived idea of how this was going to happen. Everyone had it played out because of how they expected the fight to go. The historian Robert Dowerwin says, Goliath had as much chance against David as any Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have had against an opponent armed with a forty-five automatic pistol. See, the problem was all that big swords and shields and and bronze shin guards and leg guards and breastplate and all that, there was an exposed area. 
that the slinger knew how to get in a hair's breadth of. See, some of us have lived so intimidated because we have been waiting on God to bestow our armor upon us. We've been waiting for God to have the ceremony where He knights us. And we get our sword and our shield and our armor. And because we haven't gotten that, we've sat on the sidelines intimidated by those that do. Not realizing that that thing we've been doing in our spare time for entertainment, (laughs) that thing we just kind of been pursuing on our own, out of our own interest, was actually a God-given desire because God was preparing you for the battles you would fight and you wouldn't fight them like everybody else did. I I don't know about the rest of you men. I do know about me. I would have much rather been walking out on that battlefield to face Goliath with some armor that I could have had some swag in. Because I don't know how you have much swag and hop in your step when all you've got is a sling unless... You see, we ought to get a little bit of a clue by how David walked out on the battlefield. We've been thinking all these years he's an underdog. He, he didn't walk out there, well, you know, let me just, let me see. Oh, God, I hope you do something. If you don't do something, I'm in trouble. You come to me with a sword and a shield, a spear. And I come to you in the name of the Lord. And I am, I've been trained. I've been equipped. I have been prepared for this moment. So just because I don't have what you have, Goliath, don't mistake that I don't have what it takes to get to kill you. I read one place where it said the Romans had created a special set of tongs to be able to remove the, the, the rocks and the, the things that were used by the slingers that would get embedded in people. The Israeli minister of defense, Moshe Dayan, the architect of Israel's astonishing victory in the 1967 Six-Day War, also wrote an essay on the story of David and Goliath. According to Dayan, David fought Goliath not with inferior, but on the contrary, with superior battle against someone far stronger than he was. But in his knowing how to exploit a weapon by which a feeble person could seize the advantage and become stronger. Get the sling out of your pocket. Stop trying to find you some armor. I know that there is a place and a time, and there's been seasons for that. But we cannot, we cannot, we we, we cannot box God in. This is how you've done it. This is how you're going to do it. 
this is the way you did it then, this is the way. How many, how, how many just off the top of your head battles that the children of Israel fought of can you just quickly think of were done in different ways? <laughs> Go out, I want you to march around six days, one time around the city. On the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. Where did you read about that in the history books of war? This time, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to get the choir. The singers. And we're going to send them out first. I bet there was some high-pitched singing that day. I bet there was not a tenor section. It was all sopranos. <laughs> I don't know what they sang, but maybe it was something. Like, Praise ye the Lord. His mercy endureth forever. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if they were in the spirit or not or just obeying. But God said, we fight in this battle today this way. And we've got to be careful that we don't get ourselves stuck in the mentalities of this is the way we fought before and this is the way we fight now. There are seasons and times and places in which God says, I know what I did that time, but this is what I'm going to do this time. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, preaching, or talking. I don't know which one it is, all three. I'm, I'm talking to some folks tonight, tonight. I'm, I'm talking to some folks tonight that you need to get the revelation that you're not just some pitiful shepherd boy with a sling, but you have been purposely gifted by God for what He has called you for and placed you for. I, I haven't, I haven't told this part publicly. I, I've told my wife. I'm not sure if I even told anybody else besides her, but one of the other things Brother, Brother Cornwell said to me back at Apostolic Conference, he said, your, your giftings and your abilities are different, different than others. You know what? To some extent or other, all of us, there's some uniqueness. And there's always a challenge of accepting that. There, there is, there is in, in, in sports, and in, in, in basketball and golf especially, are the two that come to mind. In basketball, when you're young, and, 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 and I remember Brother Humphrey doing this with us and when I would play, and then, then when I coached and helped him coach, I would, I would do this, and, I, and there's camps and all this, and you go, and they teach you the fundamentals of a, of a jump shot. And they teach you the, the fundamental principles. And, and when they do that, you're, you're supposed to get your feet set and your face in the basket. And, 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 and you know, you got, your, you got your weight kind of balanced on those feet. And, 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 and you, you know, this hand, if you're right-handed, this hand stabilizes the ball. And this hand is the one that, that gets the, you know, the distance and, 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 and that determines the length of the shot. And, 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 and you, you flip that wrist, not to just so you can look pretty. But you flip that wrist to get some backspin on the ball, and that increases all the... But you know what? The majority of people may use those fundamentals, but there's some guys that have made millions of dollars that their fundamentals were nothing like what were taught. 
feet pointing different directions, body twisted. I played with a few guys like that. They weren't pros, but I played with a few guys. Like You'd watch them shoot, Brother Tino. It was almost painful watching them shoot. Body was contorted and twisted, but I mean, they just shot after shot draining. Golf is the other thing. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's what's considered the fundamentals of a golf swing and exactly the way you're supposed to do it. And most guys, that's what they strive for, and they got a swing coach that helps them do that. And you try to get those fundamentals down. But there's a couple of guys that are multimillionaires that have what is an ugly golf swing. Guy by the name of Jim Furyk is one of them. He's, you watch his, he, you do not watch his golf swing to learn the model golf swing. But you know what? He's learned how to use his sling. And he's got more money than probably all of us combined here tonight. <laughs> At some point, you gotta decide what's more important. Looks or effectiveness. I, I like, you know I like preaching and I like to preach and, and, and I, like to, I like to bear down on the microphone. But th- let me tell you something, there's a whole lot of guys that know how to get in the cadence of preaching and they know how to get with it and they got sweat and they got spit and the microphone's soaked and everybody's jumping and everybody's moving and you get done with the message and you wonder what was said and what did God do And I shouldn't, but I will, and I'll tell you in advance, it's all in the flesh. This next comment is all in the flesh. You can tell how legitimate what God's saying through them is, because when they go posting themselves all over social media for you to see what they've done, they've missed the point. Tell you AML guys something. You might not ever be able to do what I just did under the anointing or out of the anointing. Husband and wife were leaving service after, I got to hurry up, I told you I wasn't going to make up for all my time. Leaving service after Easter Sunday morning, she was a faithful church member. He hardly ever went to church, he happened to come that Sunday morning for Easter and they're riding home and she says to him, boy, didn't the preacher preach this morning? He's like, I guess so. What do you mean? You don't, he said, I can do that. She said, what? He said, I can do that. Prove it. He said, the dog was sitting on the porch and the rabbit ran through the yard and the, and the dog started chasing the rabbit. She said, well, my God, you sure can preach. Sweat, spit, cadence. I don't know what you call that. Those are not necessary requirements to preach. You might stand behind a pulpit, never move from out behind it, and barely ever raise your voice, but deliver an anointed rhema from God, and people all over the place are going to get exactly what they need. 
so you can try to put on somebody else's armor if you want to, but you'd be much better off just accepting the sling that God has given you. I've done it for years by the grace of God. By the grace of God. You've heard me do it. I've gotten up and said it after we've had somebody here preaching. Oh my God, I can't believe i got to follow Him. Oh my word. I cannot do that. I don't know how to do that. I can't believe I got to preach with what God gave me. I can't believe I've got to follow the guy that knows how to wield the sword and all I can do is get up here with my sling. I'm not talking to anybody tonight, I know. I know this is dropping right there. (laughs) By the help and grace of God. Not because of me. I'm not talking, I'm not building up into humanity tonight. If that's all you get out of what I'm preaching, you have missed my message. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about the humanity. I am an earthen vessel. I am an earthen vessel. But I am also the the carrier, the carrier of a treasure. I may be an earthen vessel, but I've got a treasure. And so somebody else may deliver the treasure different than I deliver it. But by the grace of God, from now on, when I, I'm just going to deliver whatever treasure I've got and not try to do it some way somebody else does. Or, here, here's what, and i got a feeling a bunch of you can relate to this. I don't, I, I, I've never really tried to be somebody else. But I have lived with the intimidation and the pressure of somebody else. God has uniquely and specifically equipped us. I want to pre- I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it because I want to preach it sometime. And I, I think my I think Angie basically said it. So since she doesn't preach too often, I'll steal her thunder. But, but Mordecai said to Esther, God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. I, I guess I really always thought of that as just the moment. God has brought you to the kingdom at this time. Uh, what Brother Morgan teach, preach about time and season? God has, you know, God has brought you to the, to the kingdom at 2015. But when God, when, when the scripture says He's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this, while it may be about that, that specific time, I think the this is more about what's going on. So God has brought you to the kingdom, not only at this moment, But God has brought you here now and He knows what you will be dealing with. 
And so when He brought you to the kingdom now for this, He has brought you at this time to be able to deal I thought it was a little better than that, but. <laughs> Do like some of them preachers. I'll thank you, all five of you. <laughs> I know I got to quit. I was going to try to be done by now, and I'm not, so I'll. Famous last words. We, we are not. We are not the leftovers. We are not the leftovers. You, you, do you really think God would let all that He has done and everything He has been about ride on a bunch of leftovers? It, it's really not how you start the game that matters the most. It's how you finish. And I, I am not, I'm not taking any, anything away from the disciples and the apostles. That's the foundation that had to be there. But if what they did got left to a bunch of whatevers, can't think of an appropriate word, losers, leftovers, scrubs, For all the 80s people. <laughs> what a waste. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but seeing them afar. And they were fully persuaded. And then it says at the end of chapter 11, They without us. They, Peter, James, John, Paul. They. They, they, all of those great people are not complete without us. I've used it before, I'm going to use it again, I'll probably use it again in the future, and you can mark it down, in a, in a couple of months from now, it's going to happen again. When it gets to March Madness, there's going to be some teams who are the lower seed, there's going to be some 14 and 15 and maybe even a 16th seed team that is going to be beating the number one seed team. But there has yet to be a number 16 seed team in, the, in, in March Madness beat a number one team. And you don't ride home celebrating the fact that in the first quarter we were winning. Who cares? What matters is what's the final score. And it doesn't matter if you were winning till the last second and they beat you by one point. What matters is you won. And so if you and I are here as a bunch of leftovers, everything done in the first quarter in the book of Acts is a waste if we can't finish. We may not have what they have, may not be able to do it the way they did it, but we've been brought for such a time as this. I want to read a couple more verses. I just read them the other night, but I want to read them tonight in closing, and I am, honestly, I'm almost done. 
Joshua 3 and 1. Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shai to Tim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet shall there be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Now you got to remember that by this point in time, all of those that were adults when they came out of Egypt have died. Except for the ones that believe in God, let them live. But can you imagine what would have happened if they would have still been there? And Joshua would have stood up before the people and said, Now listen, we're getting ready to cross the Jordan, and this is the way we're going to do it. Without fail, there would have been some of them that would have said, Now wait a minute. The last time we crossed water, We didn't do it this way. The last time we faced water that we had to cross, this is the way it was done. Joshua didn't have to deal with that because all those that were there were gone. And so he stands up and says, this time, we're not going to do it with a rod. I'm not going to part the waters and and hold my rod up all day while all of you walk through. This time, this is the way we're going to do it. They're going to carry the ark and they're going to step. And and in fact, according to the, 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 the story, the waters didn't part prior. The waters didn't part until actually those priests stepped foot in it. And that's when they parted. Moses stood there, held a rod up, Red Sea parted, whole entire nation of people walked through on dry ground, God delivered them out of Egypt. That was the way it was supposed to be done. But now, they're moving into the promised land. You don't automatically do what you did before because it worked before. Sometimes God decides, we did it this way. But this time, we're going to do it different. And I, I, I'm saying this tonight in, the, in, the, in, in reverence and respect. I'm going to tie back into last week for a moment as I close. And I support wholeheartedly everything that was done, said, preached, taught, all of it. I've had conversations numerous times the last several weeks with people about it. Believe it with all of my heart. Let me, let me, let me plead with you old timers. Don't lock this new generation into having to do it the same way you did it. I'm not talking about the fundamental doctrine. I'm not talking about those things. You know, you ought to know me by now better than that. I'm not talking about that. 
But I'm talking about the way we go about doing some things. Don't sit back and judge the younger because they're not doing the way you did it and think it's never going to happen. It could very well be the rod worked for you, but God's saying this time we're going to do things different. I, I know, I know there was a whole, I know there's a whole lot to it why that older generation died off. I know there's all kind of stuff to it. But I wonder if somewhere at the bottom of God's list of reasons why was partly because he knew when Joshua got there and it was time to cross, they were going to have to do it different. And all those people would not have accepted that. We don't don't need duplicates of any of us. Excuse the grammar, but to lighten the statement, I'll put it this way. There ain't a one of you here tonight that we need more than one of you. You bring to this world, to this church, exactly what is needed from you. I don't, you, you may think you're so all that in a bag of chips, the world could use a bunch of you. But I'm just going to tell you, when it comes to the guy I look in the mirror at every morning, I know one is more than enough. And I'm glad God has put a bunch of people in my life that aren't me. It wouldn't be a very fun world. You're talking about you or me? Oh, <laughs> she said, no, it wouldn't. I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> I know what you meant. I just couldn't pass it up. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's some of us here, we're, we're so busy trying to be somebody else. And I don't, I don't again, I don't mean necessarily mannerisms and but I, I mean, there, there's just the pressure you feel. You, you don't have to be me, good or bad. You don't have to be me. I don't have to be you. I just got to be who I am. And do what God has created me to do. How? And not let anybody intimidate me. And not let anybody intimidate you into being something different than you're supposed to be. Because when you are and do, when you are who God has created you and do what God has created you to do, you are not an underdog. When you try to be somebody else, When you try to do it the way somebody else does, you do become an underdog and chances are you're going to fail. But when you can just be who God has made you to be and do things the way God has created you to do it, you can do like David said and say, you come with a sword and a spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. Stand, please. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that revelation and understanding would settle on us tonight individually. Every person in this place tonight, God, that they can become fully who it is you've created and designed them to be at this season, at this time, God. God, I know there's some amongst us that you have equipped with swords and spears and shields and armor, but then there's a bunch of us, God, that all we've got is a, a, a staff and a sling. But when we all do what we're supposed to do the way you've created and designed us to do it, then we will be victorious. Help us tonight, God. Help us not to have mindsets and preconceived ideas that box you in and limit you and force you into certain ways, God, but to be willing to realize you can work however you choose, whenever you choose, through whomever you choose to work through, God, and you know how to get the job done, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for calling us. But we also thank you for equipping us for such a time as this, God. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Encourage you, if at any way possible, if at all possible, please be here Saturday night. I know you all are aware, and I know you all believe God is doing something uh, and so I, I, I know you're going to try, but I just want to encourage you. Please do what you can to be here, and let's be a part of what God is continuing to do in Jesus' name.